midway through spring ball, but more importantly, we are coming up on the one-year anniversary of the podcast. Wow, it's special. Did you know that? Uh, I, I had a feeling. It's it's April sometime. Yeah, right? a rough idea. Yeah, the first episode was our blue-white preview. It's now about two weeks until the next blue-white game. And I think we've got enough time here to figure out what we should do because, like you said, it is it is special. It is. What is the one year podcast anniversary? Is that the silver or silver anniversary? Well, you're the married one. Why, why are you asking me? Yeah, I usually forget about my anniversary. Um, well, that hasn't changed even even with me. Very good. Yeah. All right. Well, here's here's what I was thinking, and we'll get to plenty of Penn State stuff. I like the new format today. I, I just unloaded it on you. What do you think? I like it. I, I can't wait to see how it turns out. Okay, cool. But first, this idea for the anniversary episode. You and I go out to dinner. <laughs> Record the episode at the table. That sounds like an awful idea. Why? Background noise, uh, argument when I, you know, you give me the check to pay for it, and <laughs> things like that. I don't know. It just. I don't, I don't, I don't we do an anniversary event. Traditionally, you do dinner. Is that what, is that what you and Erica do? We do. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then we do the anniversary episode on the anniversary. I don't think we're going to do that. Look, Fasha Luna. You think? I would, I mean, All right, you want to do Chipotle? So it's a little... Uh, that'd probably be more noisy. Yeah, probably. We, we got the clicking sound we have to, to compete with. All that's time. right. Yeah, we uh, we apologize for that last episode in case you tuned in. We had this incessant clicking, I think, after a minute six or seven. That's been fixed this week. It's not going to happen. Um, <laughs> we hope. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're on time. But, but um, we appreciate you listening, as always. Now to the new format. Like I said, very excited about this. We're midway through spring ball. Where we last left you off with was what we thought we were going to discuss next weekend. We, we put it in the format of... What we believe we're definitely going to hear, what we're probably going to hear, and what might be kind of a negative reaction to what we've had so far. We nailed all those predictions. But before we get to those, here's how this is going to go. Our intro is going to be basically, and in case you missed it, there's been a lot that's transpired since the last time we sat down and you took the time to listen to us. Then we're going to move on to what we know at this stage. Again, a little bit now, honestly, more than halfway through a spring ball, what we definitively know. Then we'll move on to what we think we know, what we want to know. And then the last two are traditional segments, recruiting, a.k.a. what Sean knows, and I sit here, and then what you all want to know when we cover the mailbag. Right. You ready? Perfect. Okay. Now, to make sure this first segment of In Case You Missed It, which we're going to run through Tommy Stevens, some basketball stuff, and some new football news, um, I have a timer here. So we are not going to ramble on. We're going to do two minutes of pop. They're going to be able to listen to the ding as he soon as the ding two happens. two and a half minutes into the intro. Okay. <laughs> per topic. And then we're going to move on to what we know because there's been a lot of uh, topics that we've covered behind the scenes, talking to different people, finding out what's happening. And um, that's the stuff that people want to get to. You ready? Absolutely. Okay. Biggest news of the last eight days since we sat down here in the podcast, Tommy Stevens is back. He's back. Uh, it's good to see. I mean, he, he looked like he, was, uh, he had a weight off of his shoulders. He talked to us last Wednesday. Day after practice, uh, you know, honestly, a surprising decision. This is something that we expected him to, to you know, go as a grad transfer, pursue other options, and be a starter for two years. Uh, I think what what got into that was a lot of people telling him, "Hey, you're one play away from being a two year starter, or potentially a two year starter, and you're definitely one year away from from taking over the reins of a potential national championship audience, or excuse me, a national championship offense." So right. I think there's there's plenty of reason for Tommy to stay. Uh, like I said, it was a surprise, but and it's a good surprise for Penn State. And some of those were not only just you know friends, family, but Big Ten coaches. He told us outright, listen, I spoke with other head ten, uh, Big Ten head coaches, didn't take any visits. But for him, you know, the defense likely in 2018 is going to be worse than it was a year ago. But I think in 2019, when he's definitely taking over, this team as a whole might be better than it is right now. Yeah, he didn't say that. We, we, right, we're right, saying, right, yeah. Um, but yeah, he definitely explored his options. I mean, this wasn't something...
something that we're, we're making up out of out of thin air. He he talked to other schools. He had people, intermediaries, uh, reach out for other schools and things like that. And, you know, that, that, that was sort of dicey for a while. But, you know, it makes sense. I mean, you, you come back. He can be a part of the offense this year. And, you know, he can be the starter and be the guy moving forward. He's a previous winner of Quote of the Week, one of our in-season segments. Oh, he's great. Had we I, had that he's not leaving this week, that. though, he absolutely wins. Because what he did to announce, hey, I'm returning on Twitter, was uh, a clip of the speech from I'm, I'm blanking here. oh Wolf of Wall Wolf Street Wolf of Wall yeah we're in Leo DiCaprio says I'm back I'm bleeping back not bleeping going anywhere and uh, yeah he was great so th- this is a huge boost because this was probably the biggest question of the whole entire offseason yeah absolutely and uh, you know it goes back and you know beyond Trace and Tommy's not practicing right now he's got the injury but uh, Sean Clifford you know you get a little bit more time for him to develop and, and you've got yourself you know I think you've taken it to the next level with the national national championship caliber offense in 2019 you know he's your guy last interesting tip because this is about to go off any second now. Okay. Um, is he said he felt like he could make big strides still mentally, which for an experienced guy who's, you know, on track or was at least to graduate early, certainly doesn't lack, you know, from a preparation standpoint and certainly not academically. That was curious for me, which makes me think that, you know, perhaps as much as we've seen the ceiling physically with him running and obviously making certain throws and even catching the ball, there might be another level for him to go to because if he says, I'm behind, you know, he's got time now that he's injured to catch up. Right. No, absolutely. And it's not, and I, I think we, we look at him as the lion guy and, and the potential tight end or the, the swing fullback or whatever you want to call it. And he can do swing so much for this back. offense, but. <laughs> Who says that? I'm just letting it go. By the way, your timer's awful. Um, but uh, no, I mean, he, he can do so much and he still needs to develop as a quarterback. We saw him throw the ball well last spring, but oh, we're gone. Yeah, we're done. All okay. Right. Next, um, our predictions last week. We said that we would definitely hear some leaders for the safety position. We would hear something new about Micah Parsons, didn't know if it was going to be good or bad. The bad part was, though, that we would hear about really nothing from nothing the, tight the tight ends. We went three for three. Yeah. Um, let's start with the Crushed bad part first. Right yeah, tight ends. Uh, honestly, the, the biggest news, speaking with James on Wednesday, was Zach Koontz right now looks like Mike Kosicki did as a freshman in that he's advanced from a, a passing game perspective. But in the run game, he's got a long ways to go. Well, he's six seven and a half. I mean, he's legit six seven, almost pressing six eight. Yeah. 230, 240 right now, which sounds big, but when you stretch it out over that frame, I mean, it's 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 a big difference. Uh, was a wide receiver in high school. Nobody really expected him to come in and block. Fryermuth is the guy that's going to come in and be the blocker if you if you get uh, if you get one of those freshmen on campus that can play right away. So not a surprise there. Danny Dalton handling pretty much all the snaps right now. Nick Bowers always hurt. Uh, John Holland is Bowers is in pads at least though. He's in pads. Holland's in street clothes right now. Yeah, you just like to see a little bit more positive signs out of Bowers because if he's healthy, he's the best one. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, I mean tight ends just a it's a it's a trouble spot right now. Yeah. So that was bad. We did hear something new about Mike Parsons uh, for the second straight week. He's at Will Linebacker. We'll get into this a little bit more later. But again, something we thought we'd hear about. And at least there's a little bit of progress there, albeit not at the mic. No, he'll, they've got Ellis Brooks at the mic. they got Micah at the at the Will. I, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you can take a little bit off his plate, have him not do the calls and, and, and all that kind of stuff, which I think helps. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, there there is improvement there. And we, we had some notes earlier this week on the site. Micah started to pick up some things a little bit faster, which, you know, you don't know if that's specific or if it's just him getting a few practices into the college game, but he's picking some things up. I think that what it comes back to, and Koa Farmer said it last week, this kid's a freak. I mean, you yeah. put him out there, you notice him wherever he is. But, you know, if you can get him in his most comfortable spot, which, you know, is still his most comfortable spot is coming off the edge as a pass rusher. I mean, it's uh, he's a heck of a football player. I can't wait to see him. Safety. We did hear someone step out. It's Garrett Taylor with Nick Scott. 
And we're done. Wow. All right. Garrett Taylor. So you'll have to read my uh, story from after practice. That's that's what that was saying. Killed that. All right. Last two-minute segment before we move on to what we definitively know. Tony Carr has declared for the NBA draft. NIT title is in Penn State's offices. Um, great news, certainly, with the NIT title. I, I think there's no dispute. You win the NIT, it's it, you get greater benefits Winning from the that. postseason tournament is good news. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. Breaking. Heard it here, here first. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but better than getting knocked down the first round of the NCAA tournament. Like, that's great that you got there, but you didn't necessarily prove any, prove any, prove any. And if you're lost, you know, that, that's an upset. You never want that on your resume. Still think this team did not deserve to get in the tournament, but still think this right. team could have won an, one or two games yeah. in that tournament. Absolutely. Um, so that's cool. Tony Carr going pro. Um, you know, we've been saying for weeks, we expected him to. I think the little the, the surprising thing here is hiring an agent, so no turning back now. I mean, your thoughts on that? I think it just goes back to something that gets overlooked a lot with athletes in that they have to th- thrive and live on almost an irrational confidence at times. Like, you have a bad game, you believe absolutely the next one is going to be your best, right? Like, a corner never believes there's a pass going to be completed on him. A shooter, score like car, says every shot that I take, that's going in. For him, I think this is just an extension of that. Listen, if I'm going to go into the NBA draft, I'm betting on myself. I'm not going to be a mid-first-round pick. He's likely to be late first round, early second from some of the NBA people that I talked to. Um, but he says, I'm going all out. And to be honest, you know, you could tell watching and listening to the press conference, there were some different timelines of, when did you tell your teammates? When did you decide with your parents? When did you tell your coaches? This was a decision that was made well before any of what was publicly said. Okay, right. so he's known he's wanted to go for a while. Ultimately, it's his dream. It's his decision. I don't think you can knock him, especially for what he did for this program. He led the Big Ten in scoring, and you got multiple lottery picks in the conference this year. Right move for him. You could argue about the agent point, but the bigger picture is he's going to the NBA, and this segment is over. All right. Good All luck, right. Tony. Everyone's caught up. He was fun to watch. Yeah, good player. Um, might have more from him later, but uh, we got football now. Okay, so what we know. He practices through. After Friday, it will be nine. This is a team that, you know, it, it was very different from 2017. And right now, one of the spots offensively, offensive line pretty much is back. Saquon, Mike Kosicki gone, obviously tight end. We've touched upon Miles Sanders to take over in the backfield. Wide receiver is interesting, not only because I think you've got a couple of redshirt options there in K.J. Hamler and Matt Kippenhammer, who have had glowing reviews to date. Right. But Juwan Johnson's been out. Yeah. So you don't expect him back for spring, I think, is a, is a fair thing to say. And at yeah. this point, he's missed practice. Practice, not likely to be in the blue white game. There's really no um, benefit that would ever no outweigh the cost to have of him there. right have them there. So they've got ample opportunity to step up, and that's even before Justin Shorter steps on campus as you know the best offensive player in the recruiting class who should immediately step into the two deep at that X spot. So. Everything I've heard is they're excited about the wideouts. DeAndre Tompkins, interestingly enough, has played most of his snaps at slot, which we know he could do. But given that that's an area where you figured K.J. Hamler would step into and Brandon Polk is competing to be at, what do you make of that Tompkins has taken most of his snaps inside? I think that says a lot about Deshaun Hamilton and how much they trusted him and they don't want to change too many things. I mean, you kept going back to your most reliable guy and they see Tompkins as that guy. It's funny because, he, he, I mean, you just mentioned it, Polk and Hamler, they're slot guys, but they've been playing them in the outside. They've been playing them at the X. They've been playing them all over the place. So um, I, I think it's more about the trust in the, in, in the veteran Tompkins and, and how he can make it work, uh, you know, inside or out. I, I also think it's about getting him more reps because you, you bring in shorter, you bring Johnson back into the fold, you, you can move Tompkins around in the fall and, and and make some things happen that way. Also, do you move to more fight four tight end or excuse me, four wide receiver pack? Yeah, you do not want to four you tight ends. You put end all back. of your tight ends on the roster on you, the field. You can't do that right now. No. no, no. But if you go for more four receiver packages because you, you right. don't like what you're getting out of your tight end, you can move Tompkins around. And, and so it's interesting. I mean, 
that's a spot where I, I think there's still question marks depth wise because you know you mentioned hip and hammer camp sullivan brown's been limited but you know we haven't heard a lot from him anyway so right. um the, so numbers aren't great there but they're, they're getting production out of those guys um you know uh, hamler has been as, as you mentioned the buzz of spring camp so far and and polk's been pretty good himself so um it'd be really interesting to see what direction this takes because you know tompkins can play outside but if you can put him inside i think it does a little bit more for you and that's what i go back to is his experience in the outside like they don't need to know anything more about how he plays the z you trust him there i mean his, his blocking has improved immensely he was one of the better outside blockers in the entire team tight ends included um so if you try him a little bit more at the slot you get him more reps there in case you know Polk nor hamler works out perhaps you feel more confident about matt kippenhammer who kind of projected as that z spot and was even you know slotted with deandre as kind of this mentor mentee relationship right. where they were paired up last spring developed and got to know one another so he projects that more that body type but still the best player and again they're, they're excited about this whole group namely because of that young talent but kj hamler keeps coming up and up and up and, and trace mcsorley told me the other day basically he's just an explosive play waiting to happen and when he doesn't overthink the play he just does his job focuses on that doesn't try to double back and you know you see players kind of cross field and get into trouble because they're one of these players who can get out of seemingly any jam he gets the most yards out of every single play so he's had the best play to date on what was this big post across the middle where he split the safeties in, in, in cover two, according to Tompkins a week ago. Yeah. Um, they're most excited about him. But, but I do wonder where if he fits in, if Tompkins is, is at that slot. Uh, overall, good news. That was just a tidbit I came across that kind of made me pause. Yeah, I think that they have so much in the slot, so it's kind of a surprise that Tompkins is there. But Hamler, I mean, you, you look back to his high school tape. I mean, it was one of the most fun receiver tapes that you'll watch because he was just carving kids up before he went down to IMG and got hurt. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, can he do that on the outside? I mean, it's going to be tough for him to get a release, you know, against those outside corners. But I mean, he's got uh, he's got the ability to do so. I don't think he's past Polk, but you know, the, they're both on fairly level playing uh, on a on a fairly level playing field. And for Hammer being what two years younger than him, I mean, that's that that's something to watch there. Next thing that we know definitively now here midway through spring ball, offensive line. This picture is a little bit clearer. The overall feeling of we're excited about the depth, the talent, the youth is all the same. But, you know, you're pretty defined there when you have one starter leaving at right guard and you know exactly who's going to step into Michael Minnett. That being said, C.J. Thorpe is still doing good things. And Ryan Bates, as of late, has come back into that lineup, though. They're still labeled to mix and match. I mean, we could go to the end of these practices and... The lines are so blurred between even first, second, and third teams, it's hard to tell who they want playing where. But that's a flexibility and a luxury. Obviously, they have not had the last they, they years. They have not had that at all. And Bates is, and, and I think they have the luxury of, of a guy like Bates. You can set him on the side. You know what he can do. You have a guy like Bates you can set on the side, and you have the ability to fill him in with uh, Alex Gellerstedt or Dez Holmes, guys that aren't quite there yet but are taking big strides to get there. I mean, Gellerstead always improving. Um, you know, I don't think he sees the field this year, but you know, 2019, he can, you know, make a case for a starting spot. So, um, I think that's, I think that's the biggest thing to take away from the added depth is giving you so many more options. We've seen Michael Mennett at center. We've seen Mike Miranda at center. Yeah. Of course, Connor McGovern, Zach Simpson, we already know can play center. So, um, there, I think there's a lot of experimentation, a lot of mixing and matching, but uh, it goes back to it. I think you're going to see Bates, Gonzalez, McGovern, Mennett, and uh, Will Fries at right tackle, who they're really excited about. So you, you've got some pretty good options there. I agree. The only thing I think that could hold that group back, and 
again, this is what we know definitively. They're happy about the group. They've got depth. They've got youth. They've got talent. Is that lack of a mean streak? I mean, we heard about it so often last year, and particularly after losses, right? Like they just have to be a little bit meaner, finish those blocks, a finisher's mentality. You, one player in this roster along that line, I should say, where you know that's there is CJ Thor, yeah. who is pushing, you know, up for that spot and for playing time. He's big, he's mean, he's strong. It just comes a little bit more naturally to him, which is not everything that you want. And he's got to work in, in pass protection, certainly. But, you know, if at any point they're lacking that push in the run game where short yardage has been a weakness for them now, two years running while everything else has been a strength offensively, maybe he gets a shot early in the season before eventually you have to hit the road in Big Ten play. Yeah, you've got the, the, the out-of-conference schedule to do that. This kid's going to pick up a few penalties along the way. <laughs> there's, there's no question in my mind about that. The best kind of penalties. Yeah, yeah. I, I know some people look down on that, but there's going to be some people excited about how C.J. Thorpe plays because he's going to be He's gonna be maul. He's gonna be. He's gonna maul some people, and he's gonna get in some fights. Are those the same that complain about uh, swears and rap music? <laughs> I think so. Okay, then we don't need to worry about them. <laughs> Very good. All right. The last thing we know right now, um, you know, we've talked about two positive areas in this roster, but still, defensive tackle and tight end remain big concerns. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, tight end. We've talked about nobody healthy right there. Uh, Danny Dalton's your guy, uh, followed by Zach Koontz. But you know, if, if they can't get Nick Bowers, they're gonna have to or Nick Bowers back healthy. They're going to have to look at other options, whether that be four receivers, uh, you know, different looks. We've seen them send out offensive linemen as, as tight ends in the past. So a um, ton of questions there, as well as defensive tackle. Um, you, you know the starters are going to be Givens and Windsor. But behind that, I mean, Sean Spencer, you, you, you do the snap counts. He never just plays two tight or two, two defensive tackles. usually likes to play five. So um, there's plenty of questions there. Fred Hansard is a guy that I look to. He's made some yes. strides. Uh, you know, not hasn't always been healthy. He kind of hit that freshman wall last year, but he's been a guy that's sort of stepped in and, and made some plays there. Still a ton of question marks around uh, Corey Bolds and some of those other guys. But uh, Hansard, I think, is a guy that stepped up and made some plays this spring. I think they're going to need Hansard or P.J. Mustafer to step in and, and just be reliable. Not necessarily as in, you know, every down defensive tackle because that doesn't exist. Just eat up reps. Yeah. yeah, just, you know, fourth or fifth defensive tackle. But at least you feel when you roll them out there, you know, you might not dominate. You might not get in the backfield the whole time but you can just do your job because that's been really what's been required of Robert Windsor and he's done some better things but you know he's reliable and I think that's why in addition to his experience that he'll be up there as a starter they're thin I've written about this we, we've talked about it um, Antonio Sheldon obviously is in that mix but they're going to need one of these redshirt freshmen or, or even true freshmen to step up and, and play in that rotation because as much as you know safety and middle linebacker are concerns again it's down the middle of the defense they're, they're prime positions for stopping big plays those guys once you find them are just going to play you know, each of those positions a year ago played at least 80, 85% of the snaps. The two starting defensive tackles only played 45%. So you still got to fill between 55 and 60% of those snaps for all their backups. Right. So that's going to be more difficult to fill in with the, the, the second string and the third string tackles, which, you know, right now is a mixed bag. We talked about last week linebacker. We weren't going to see uh, a resolution until August. I think that's the same way with yep. defensive tackle. And, you know, I've also heard some, some pretty good things about Judge Culpepper, not that he's going to step and play right away he's got obviously has weight to add but big athletic kid can move around so we'll see what he can bring to the table so yeah i don't think we're going to hear anything on those on that defensive tackle rotation until probably the fall right all right and tight end you know again same thing we've talked about it remains a concern i I think the name to watch because he's in pads and jonathan holland is in street clothes is Nick Bowers. Yeah. You know, you saw what he could do at the end of last year from a receiving he's, standpoint. He's, yeah, he's, he's a total package. <laughs> he's always been a tight end. You know, physically, he 
he's got everything that you would ever want. It's just the health factor. So, you know, I don't know exactly what that's going to take. Obviously, he's closer than Holland. And right now, you know, Holland being converted defensive end, who was in the second string. But again, that's when Bowers was hurt. If right. he can be healthy, I think that's the guy who might just, you know, provide the quickest path from concern to confidence with this group because he is the total package. But, of course, there's a huge if with him. Big, big if. Yeah, okay. no doubt. All right. What do we think we know? Moving back to Micah Parsons. He's been playing the will linebacker position. Um, I think this is a very smart move. And honestly, it's not one that I thought of a while back. But I have to wonder why it wasn't thought of earlier from Penn State staff. Because you look at, obviously, Mike linebacker is a concern. You're losing your two best from a year ago. But the will linebacker playing in the box has many similar duties, assignments, and skills required to play that position. So right now, he started at the mic. They moved him to play more will, where he can work on those skills and develop as need be, and then shift over to the mic, where your, your plate's a little bit more cluttered mentally. Um, he's playing faster there. You, you talked about it just being a freak. We think, at this point, he might be able to play the will week one. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I, I see no reason that he couldn't. I mean, you, I, I think they're trying to find probably four or five guys that they can roll out there and play. You, you know Koa can play. Uh, we think Cam Brown can play. It's been back and forth as to whether or not he can be a productive guy there. Ellis Brooks has stepped up as well. Uh, and then you've got that glut in the middle with Jan Johnson, Jake Cooper, those guys that can play both as well. So I, I just, I mean... I don't see how you can keep Parsons off the field. I mean, whether he's at Mike, whether he's at Will, whether you put him down at DN for for third down, which mm-hmm. I don't think they do, considering all the DNs that they have. Right. But I mean, it's uh, yeah, I don't I don't see you keeping him off the field week one. Okay. What else? And he doesn't do? have to be a starter either. I mean, that's no. the thing. Like you, you can put him down in the situation. He can be a two two down linebacker and you know go out and get after the passer, which is naturally what he does. So I don't think the emphasis on him being the starting wheel linebacker, which right now we have is Coa Farmer. Uh, I don't think no, the emphasis. Cam Brown. Uh, you can see them flipping. Okay, Coa's playing the wheel right now. So, um, so, so. I, and I see where you're going because Cam has played there before. Akoa has, has yeah, they flipped Sam. at the end of Sam last yeah. year. But uh, I mean, it's just it, I think that you're looking at a guy that you're just gonna you, you just want to get on the field. Right, right. that's easy as that. So. Yeah, the other player to keep in mind, as much as he's not attached to that conversation, is Jarvis Miller making strides at the Sam, which kind of makes that a little bit tougher. But with Cam Brown playing some Sam last year, Cole obviously did. You know, it, it's it's not all dependent upon can Mike play the Mike or can he play the Will. It's what are your best fits right. among all the different players. And we haven't even mentioned Ellis Brooks. Let's say he is clearing away the best Mike linebacker. Well, that should all but eliminate Mike Parsons from that discussion, right? Because you have greater trust in there that he's able to make the calls, the checks, and the adjustments, which of course he should. And he's an extra year in the system. And he's played the position right. all his life, pretty much. Yeah. So, All right. Um, what else we think we know? The cornerbacks are going to be really, really good. I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you lose two or th- two or three cornerbacks to the NFL. I mean, uh, it's uh, it doesn't make any sense for them to jump back in. But John Reed, uh, you know, the, although he's limited this spring with what they're trying to do with him, you know, it gives you the opportunity to get Amani in there, get Tariq Castro Fields in there. We had notes earlier this week, Donovan Johnson's having a great spring. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it goes back to... You've got a lot of guys out there that are pretty good, and whoever you put in there is, is going to be fine. Yeah, and we spoke with John Reed after practice on Wednesday.
say, you know, James has said if we had a game this weekend, he's going to play. It's just a matter of there's no need to rush him. Like no. if you trust any player with his off-field preparation, not only just from a, a film study standpoint, but taking care of his body. And he said he's learned so much about various exercises to re-strengthen not only just the knee, but his whole balance. Because that's what you focus on so much is to maintain that you've got this symmetry with the left and right side and the top and bottom of your body. So that as you're recovering, it's not just, you know, your right leg suddenly gets so much stronger. Right. You know, he overall is in the best shape of his life mentally he's already watching film in Appalachian State which a handful of players are um, and certainly the staff is but you know he's a guy you don't have to worry about you know we, we've talked about Amani you know was the only all Big Ten selection from that backfield a year ago or right. you know from the cornerbacks um, so he's there Tree Castro field should be great and it, you know we've talked about Lamont Wade moving from safety it's because cornerback got really yeah, cluttered exactly McPherson too having a good offseason yeah. as well yeah. so and Jabari Butler who can fly but you know is in that mix now and, and wasn't a year ago after transferring right um, last thing that we think we know Ryan Bates mentioned this he's back in the mix which he had not been totally engaged at least in the parts of practice that we've seen at left tackle yeah it's great to see him back out there um obviously had the, the letdown at the end of the year last year but yeah we, I still see him as a left tackle we went through the, the the line a little bit earlier but uh yeah it's uh I mean he, he's still your best or uh, probably your one of your top two offensive linemen and you know you roll him out there at left tackle that's great Will Fries I, th- I think moves over there after Bates leaves but that's a, a long way down the road yeah so we think he's going to stay there yeah, I, I think it I makes think the so. most sense and when you look at okay well he played right tackle the last two games of the season that had as much to do with Will Fries has been at left tackle and you don't want to bounce around you know redshirt freshman between each end of the line you know three times in a given season it was also a matter of that left ankle like if he's playing left tackle he's not going to be able to drop in his set and plant much weight on that foot without doing further damage so if you put him at right tackle he's able to get back and still be effective without hurting that hurting that ankle which has slowed his progress so far um, in spring but I, I don't think he's going to be there they're going to flip flop Will Fries was, was a capable right tackle a year ago and I think it will be in 2018 alright we know all this stuff we think we know all this stuff what do we want to know now for the last couple of weeks we talked about backup defensive tackles earlier so we're not going to get too far into that but you just wonder if if Hansard and Shelton are the two guys that are right there and you know are you going to have to play a freshman so I think that's that's a big thing that we want to know and and how much can that change between now and August is that the most pressing thing for you I think on the roster not not to say no no I'm just going by the the rundown (laughs) what is that what is the most pressing thing? Yeah. Um, I would say finding that right combination of linebackers. I okay. mean, I, I mean, tight end is a big question mark. Defensive tackle is a big question mark. But, I mean, when you're putting two or three linebackers on the field every play, um, you know, we've seen what good linebacker play looks like, and we've seen what not good linebacker play looks like, and you're, you're not completely convinced, and we're going to bleed into our next topic. Well, here, I was going to say, let's, let's talk about that right now. Cole Farmer and Cam Brown. Where they're at now, it, I, I mean, I don't think it's any secret to say where they're at now isn't where Penn State needs them to be to be a top 10 defense, to be a top 10 football team. So what kind of levels do they have left uh, to, to go to? Yeah, I, I want to know if each of them has another level. And I think part of it, you know, you cannot blame on them because their development so far has either been hurried in the case of Cam Brown, who should have received a red shirt, couldn't because just this place was, this position was ravaged with injuries in 2016. So he has to step in at Michigan as a true freshman in week four you know the, the results were predictable um then Koa Farmer 
you know, ping pong between safety and linebackers entire career. Now you're settled into the Sam linebacker position and, and thrust in there at the end of 2016, plays last year. But it, you hear so much about Koa's speed, Cam Brown's instincts, and, and his pass rush ability. You just haven't seen all that translate onto the field. And for Koa, this is his last year. You know, Cam, he's got co- competition coming up from the rear. He's a junior. Now's the time to establish you know himself for Cam again. It's a physical thing too because he's six foot five, lean, has had trouble adding on weight, and I don't think it's any fault of his own. But at some point, his abs keep eating the weight. Supposed to, <laughs> yeah, yeah, the eight or ten, whatever James likes to tell us all the time. But he he's just you know he's extraordinarily fit, but just the, not your traditional body type for linebacker. Can he overcome that somehow? I don't know. Again, is there another level? If there is, you know, there's reason to believe that their path so far has slowed their path to reaching it. Um, but you just don't know because there's no evidence so far yet to say yeah there was a breakthrough moment they could have it and if it was arguably for Koa that was in 2016 right yeah I mean there's so many questions out there and even James Franklin said last week that Koa still really wasn't at the level they needed him to be at and and he's communicated that to Koa and you know we'll see if it if it rings a bell in there and yeah you know, they've got plenty of younger options I don't think they're going to go to those younger options at least not not in the early stages of the season but yeah I mean they they got to be better and we'll, we'll find out I guess all right last thing I want to know uh is the tweaks that are made to this offense and I sat down with Ricky Ronnie actually just the other day we, we talked about a variety of different topics but you know X's nose is, is where I'm going to pay a significant amount of attention I'm not going to say what we've seen in, in spring practices so far but um, you do, do you do see some more versatility which honestly shouldn't be a surprise you, you've got a new offensive coordinator a third year starting quarterback an offensive line that returns almost entirely intact and should be better I mean your options aren't limitless but f- for you know in terms of top factors that you need to install new stuff you've got everything there and all the tools to work with and all the reason in the world to say you know, we could try some different things. Let's do it right now. Yeah, they did it in the bowl game. I mean, not not completely different things. They threw the shovel yeah. pass about forty times or whatever. More but, two quarterback stuff. Yeah, two quarterback stuff. And, and and I think with Miles Sanders, you you get a little bit of a different look there. I mean, everybody's expecting Saquon, and you know, everybody's expecting you know, coaches included for Saquon to get the football at some point. So uh, with, with Miles back there, I think you have a different options. Uh, not that it's better or worse, but you, I think he's going to have more room to do a little bit more stuff. Yeah. Now. You know, part of what I, I spoke with Ricky Rodney was obviously the influence that Joe Moore had had. And, you know, that's, it's actually not the direction of my piece. But what he told me was that, you know, a turning point for him was just what Joe got across about. Listen, you don't need to do 100 different things for what you're executing to look like that to the defense. I mean, you could stick to a couple of concepts and dress them up and really be simple in how you teach it to the kids and still provide confusion on the other sideline. Um, so for them, again, I expect them to do and try out and experiment with a couple of new concepts, position, you know, personnel groupings. But beyond that, the, the offense is going to stay the same. I want to underscore that versus anyone who goes, oh, so they're going to try all this different stuff. Like, no understanding, no fullback. It'll still be primarily 11, 10 personnel. What was, that? What was that last thing you said? Uh, 10 personnel. Um, and, uh, and no... <laughs> Under center? We don't say the F word here on the podcast. Okay. Um, but, I, you know, you just never know until week one. And honestly, you don't even know sometimes until the middle of Big Ten play because right. they're going to save stuff for Michigan, Ohio State, Michigan State as much as every game is a Super Bowl. Just, but this is. Yeah, one more thing. Yeah, I got to stop you there and and ask your impressions of Ricky because not a lot of people have interacted with him. He's always been sort of in the background, right? But you got to sit down with him for the first time. What does he bring from uh, an intellectual standpoint, from from an X's and O's approach standpoint? I like this uh, because the next segment, as I said, what does Sean know? So this is kind of what, what Andrew, what knows. Andrew knows. All right. Okay. 
you know, Ricky and I had a really great conversation, and it wasn't even so much from a football standpoint, but his personal background and his journey, which now I'm teasing more of what eventually I'm going to write about. But, you know, from from an X's and O's standpoint, he, he's always been labeled as a highly cerebral guy, which you could probably gather from the Cornell degree. I mean, he played there. He was raised in a pro-style system. He ran that system all the way up until John Donovan was canned, and James Franklin opened up and said, we need to f- hire an offensive coordinator. So for him, those are his roots. However, I give, as I have many times in the podcast, Podcast. James, a lot of credit for making that turn. I think it's ultimately what saved not just hiring Joe, but the decision and the, the ability to let go of his pride and what he had been teaching himself for so long, that pro style system and, and hire somebody new. But for Ricky to adopt that and embrace it to where he says now he believes Joe is, is the best offensive coordinator in the country. So for Ricky specifically, I mentioned the cerebral part. He's, he's very smart. He's extraordinarily hardworking. And I think when I've asked other people about him, they say what you don't know is obviously there's some fire there, which he'll admit to a very emotional guy, but very analytical. So, you know, an example of that was, and he's, you know, self-described, not a huge splits guy, meaning that he doesn't harp as much as certain, you know, passing game uh, specialists or experts will talk about the distance the receivers are from the end of the line of scrimmage or where they are basically on the field when they line up. So you think about where receivers typically are, right? You've got one on either side, you know, an X and a Z and someone in the slot, you know, where they line up will tell you a lot about the route that they're going to run. So for example, let's say an outside receiver is extremely close to the sideline. They're either going vertical straight up the field or it's going to be some sort of in-breaking route. You can't go right or left or wherever the sideline is because then you're out of bounds. So in this particular play in practice earlier this week, actually, what they had discussed in, in the film was we're having trouble connecting on this over route, which is basically a deep cross over the middle. So why don't we just move that a foot closer in? So they go to practice the next day. The receiver happened to be running the route was still in that original spot. Of course, they have an incomplete pass, and Ricky goes over and listen. A foot doesn't sound like a lot, but that's exactly what we just missed by when Trace made that throw, and it was just out you know, in front by about a foot. It's in His point to me was, yes, we've got to pay attention to the details, but more importantly, making that adjustment day-to-day in, in games, you know, series to series is what's going to make this offense. So there was a bigger picture point to you need to be on top of this detail because we've got to be able to adjust. And if you can't do that now when it's March, why can I trust you to do that in September? So it's not only just you want to take care of the little things, but he understands and can explain the bigger picture that they represent. And I think that's an understanding and, and a communication that really, you know, takes to be a good coordinator. Like, if I can understand that, certainly the kids should, and the results were already there. So there shouldn't need to be a buy-in because that pass went incomplete, and he can bring it all the way back to that split. And if he's if he's a self-described, I'm not a big splits guy, you know, and he's already that into where the splits are, I can only imagine the other details that you'll find about different parts of the offense that he is all over all the time. Yeah, you don't think about that with, with college coaches. I mean, detail-oriented is something you think everybody is, but they take it to another level. I mean, the, the, the paranoia about being a foot to the inside or being a foot to the outside, it's, it, it's, it's sort of a... Uh, a snapshot of what it's like inside a coach's brain, which is just absolutely horrifying. <laughs> and even that, you know, I'm going to wrap this up too because this has gone too long, but the, it it comes down to geometry, right? Like of the certain angle that you take, not only just the distance that you start at, but the area you need to cover in order to make a certain throw at a particular arc. Like it, it all matters quite a bit. Not everything is going to go according to script and according to plan, but you've at least got to give yourself the best shot possible to start. And if that foot isn't made there, I mean, that's really what it comes down to. And we 
we've seen their last couple of losses. I think it's the last three have come to four points. Yeah. You know, a foot here or there makes the difference. And so um, I think he's off to a good start, and we'll see. You know, he's got that unsexier, you know, label higher of like he was the in-house guy. Everyone knew it was easy decision. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but I think he's he's going to outgrow that and prove that he he was the right man. For the yeah, team. I think he's pissed about that too. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> all right. What does what Sean you, know? What does I know? Uh, I know Penn State had two of the top 10 2020 prospects on campus on Monday, Julian Fleming, Paris Johnson Jr. Uh, Fleming, you know, no disrespect to Paris Johnson, but Fleming is the guy. I mean, he's probably your top in-state target in 2019 or 2020 uh, to get him back on campus, uh, I think a little bit to two and a half months after after Josh Gaddis left. is a big deal because you've got to get him with David Corley. Uh, you've got to sort of cultivate that relationship because he was extremely close with Josh Gaddis. So uh, getting him back was a big deal. He will be back for the spring game as well, which is also, you know, something that's huge for them. So you sort of have to regain that momentum because, you know, before Gaddis left, I don't think you can chalk it up as a lock, but before Gaddis left, uh, you know, there's a lot of things pushing him to Penn State. Now, what you said at the beginning there is a big deal, though, too. Like, sorry, Paris Johnson, uh, currently the number seven ranked player. Right. And the 247 yeah, Sports you're 2020 Take rankings. a back seat to the number two player in the country. Right. Uh, but yeah, Paris Johnson, uh, number one offensive tackle in the country. Uh, huge kid, 6'7, whatever. Um, dad is now a. Uh, Someone's not yeah. so detail oriented. Yeah, he's uh, he's a big kid. It's 275, by the way. Um, his, his, his father is a coach at Pitt, um, not an on field coach, but uh, worked for Pat Narduzzi for, at Michigan State, and they brought him in. Um, I don't think that's going to have the impact that I think a lot of people like to sort of project on him. Um, but yeah, this is a kid that's going to have people coming after him from everywhere. You know, Ohio State's going to be there, Notre Dame's going to be there, Stanford's going to be there, and Penn State to get him on campus is, is step one. So um, still a, a lot to go. This is a kid that you want to get back for for a whiteout for the Ohio State game or something like that. Um, you know, went to St. X in Cincinnati, uh, which is where Sean Clifford is from. Uh, so you've got some some connections there. I mean, this is a kid. It's too far in, in the future to forecast where he's going to end up, but Penn State's. Uh, you know, made a positive impression on him, and he should be back later this week. Or excuse me, later this se- later this year, later this week. Uh, it's it, it's a huge weekend. Um, not not so much in numbers, but Brandon Smith, who I have number one on my big board, uh, my Penn State big board linebacker from Virginia, he's wrapping up a trip in which he saw Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and then he's spending two nights uh, at Penn State. So he'll get in Friday. He he will leave on Sunday. Uh, this is a kid that they've targeted very early. Um, you, you weren't sure if he was going to be a defensive end or a linebacker, but they like him as a linebacker. His tape looks good as a linebacker, despite being 6'4", 6'5", you know, whatever. So, um, yeah, we're not big on weights right right now today. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But, no, uh, it's cutting season. But when you can have lifters. one of your – yeah, when you can Did have you know one that? of your – yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm all over that. <laughs> Um, but if you can have one of your, if not your top defensive target on campus this weekend for a personal visit, he's a Penn State type of kid. He's, he's a really sharp kid. He's got a, uh, you know, a family that's very supportive and everything like that. So uh, to get Brandon Smith on campus again, once again, it's it, it's a big thing. Um, going beyond that, Alton, Antonio Alfano, who's a guy that we identified early as a top target, sort of backed away from him. He's got some off-field issues that he's got to take care of. He's at his third high school, and I think in the last six months, um, he's had some, some other issues, and, and I think he was primed to commit to Penn State in December, and they, they, they took a look at him and said, hey, man, you got 
got to get this stuff worked out before you can, you know, jump on board. So he will be back this weekend. Um, I think we'll probably know a little bit more about the strides that he's made off the field by the the reception that he gets from the Penn State staff. But physically, I mean, this is a, a top level defensive tackle. He's got an NFL body. He's I think he's one of two or three kids um, that I've covered in the last couple of years that have 11 inch hands. Uh, Micah Parsons is one of the other ones. So, mm-hmm. I mean, huge growth potential. He's a, he's a monster kid, uh, a good wrestler as well. Um, so he's got everything that you want from a physical package, just needs to clear a, a few things up off the field. Um, so getting him back, I think, uh, it is a step. I don't think they're anywhere close to having him commit or letting him commit or anything like that, but it's a step in the right direction for Alfano. So that's good to see. Um, a couple of visits in the future, late April. Uh, we we did a piece, I think, Sunday night uh, about breaking down the guys that were going to be in town this uh, this month. And Noah Kane, uh, number two running back in the country, I believe, by the 24-7 Sports Composite uh, at IMG, uh, going to come up for an unofficial April 28th. And Owen Papo, uh, the number one outside linebacker, excuse me, number one linebacker in the country out of Georgia. He's got some connections with LeVar Arrington. His mom went to Penn State. So um, still an extremely outside shot there but if yeah, you're getting the, georgia lean for the yeah, crystal ball i think they've got 92 percent of the uh, of the crystal ball predictions auburn's in there as well take an official to texas but penn state i mean if you're getting the number one linebacker in the country to take an official hey that's what these spring official visits are for so uh it'll be fun to see that work out i don't know that that's going to go anywhere but hey number one linebacker wants to visit you got to give them the time of day so all right, all right. that's Ooh. all that you know yeah that's, you know no more i'm i'm uh i'm out of breath, out of breath. knowledge yeah so we'll, there's plenty more on the site <laughs> check, <laughs> check that out no. very good all right uh last but not least what you all want to know mailbag we got three questions first one's kind of funny uh it's, you kind of get like an immediate gut reaction that says no but uh, let's talk about it a little is it possible that Tommy Stevens finishes with more catches than the leading tight end on the roster? I think the the, the first reaction is no, and then you think about it, and you're like, who who's going to beat him? I mean, these guys have to be um, you know healthy to do so, and we haven't yes. seen that. So so from what we're seeing right now in April, I mean, the the answer is maybe, but I, I don't think it's going to work out that way. No, I think there's going to be a tight end that emerges. I think what would play in Tommy's favor, of course, is that from the one game that we see in Ricky Ronnie call with his current roster most of this roster he was heavily fe- featured than he was at any point in the regular season I mean right. it was some close to some production he had um, Northwestern game comes to mind but in that Fiesta Bowl I mean he was all over the place and they're not going to be trying to keep him now you know that's the thing with him coming back you don't have well, to do the extra stuff that- but the other part is he told he was told that there's a commitment of this is how we want to use you he expects an increased role right. now whether they follow through on that there, who knows there is but okay so <laughs> so you're more concerned about him being crossed there no i mean i mean i i'm not concerned about it. i mean i i don't think he'll be crossed or anything like that but i mean you, you don't have to i don't think you're gonna hear does he have a bigger role or no yes he does okay he does that's what i'm going for he's a good running well, back too. here's the other part the leading tight end might not even exist so if they split up their catches and receptions naturally that plays in tommy's favor in the scenario where i guess he's got you know a bet going on with them of who's going to have more catches right at the end of the day though my answer is no 
I, I don't think it's it's possible that he does. I think you're going to have a worst-case scenario. Right now, Penn State's working through a worst-case scenario at tight end, or Jonathan Holland's hurt, Nick Bowers is out. You've got Danny Dalton out there, who's doing a fine job from everything we've heard. Didn't play a single offensive snap, though, a year ago. He's been hurt, though. But, you know, I, I think someone will emerge between Holland, Bowers, perhaps Pat, Pat Fryermuth, um, maybe even Zach Koontz, if he's allowed to play in kind of strictly a passing game role. You know, whatever it is, someone will emerge there and will go, wow, this was a silly question. Right. But for now, I think, it's fine. And I think it's more about the number of snaps versus how many time he can get. So you, you can be a bailout. You can be a guy that's a, a, a safety valve or whatever is a tight end. So I think that's probably the natural reaction to, to look at that. Okay. Um, another question. A little bit more concrete answer here. How many transfers do you envision after spring practices conclude? Well, they need to get down to 85, which I think right now they're at 87 with the new freshman coming in. So, I mean, t- Tommy's off the table, but you, you look at that and there's a couple other guys that, and you know, I'm not going to speculate on some of those guys, but right. you think you see probably two. Yeah, I could see that. That would be my guess without even uh, knowing that they were quite at 87. I knew it was kind of high 80s. But, you know, I figure the way certain positions, you know, are, I think offensive lines is a place to look at. I think that's fair. Um, you know, again, without saying any names in particular. But, you know, when when you look at the areas of strength that we've discussed at length now, I mean, inevitably there's someone at the back end going, I don't have a future here. And like you said, they have to get down to 87. So it's yeah, you saw it with, with TJ Johnson last yeah, year. There, I mean, there, there's going to be some pressure. Of there's some scholarship-heavy positions, which yeah. you've got a lot of guys in front of you and you want to go play somewhere nothing yeah. wrong with that so I think you know if you really want to study this enough you could probably find out who those candidates are but I think two um, is is a fair bet right lastly uh, you kind of talked about this with Julian Fleming but maybe there's more are there any kids that Josh Gaddis Charles Huff Joe Moorhead assistants from last year who have all moved on to different programs were high on that their current staff is not and vice versa so recruits that they were looking to bring on board perhaps had a great relationship with that Penn State was not quite as high on who Mount may take a backseat in their vision, or perhaps they were not poo-pooing but lesser on that Penn State was high on and they were not pursued because they didn't fit with Josh Gaddis or Charles or Joe Morant. Uh, I think there's some guys, and, and quite honestly, I'm not really prepared for this question from a personal uh, person-by-person basis, um, but you see, you, you saw a lot of offers go out. Josh Gaddis was very particular about his wide receivers, who he offered. They'd be his guy. Now, granted, you've got um, you know John Mechie, who was one of his guys, um, so you know you, Penn State's kept up with him. I don't think there's a big difference. Mm-hmm. Um, and beyond that, I mean, I think the biggest change is the emphasis on Florida, offering those guys and and you wonder if, if if they would take a Florida guy over a John Metchie? Do you, do you take a Florida guy and unseat one of those other guys that you're going after? So I I don't know. I mean, it's it's tough because um, when the changes happened, you know, y- you were starting to make some headway with Devin Ford. You were starting to make some headway with uh, Garrett Schrader, of course, um, who was close to committing, committed to, to Moorhead at Mississippi State this week. So I think it was more of a, of a relationship transition type thing than a hey, I'm high on this guy. I don't think anybody was being held back from really a Penn State offer because, you know, these guys, they had their guys. Yeah, and I think if anything, you know, Gary Schrader kind of came to mind, but that was kind of understood when Joe Moore had left. I mean, that recruitment was so tied to his relationships. I don't think it's so much that they might have been higher on than Penn State is now off the radar, but, you know, those relationships go with them to a degree. And some parts entirely with them, as you said, with Schrader going to uh, Mississippi State and now some targets that Penn State shared with Alabama. Gaddis is there instead. 
you know, I think it leans a little bit closer um, to the tide. But, you know, those names where the relationship played the greatest role with the primary recruiter, the only ones you have to really worry about. Otherwise, I mean, they're going to function as they have and then replace some of those names that they might lose with greater interest in Florida because Jay Wan Sider has opened that up for them. Yeah, Noah Kane would not be visiting unless Jay, yeah. Jay Wan Sider was, was the running backs coach. So, yeah, it's a good question. I'm sorry that I'm not prepared. I didn't even look at it earlier, so I'm not prepared with with particular names. But, yeah, I mean, it changes some of the outlook, but most of that is relationships uh, over evaluations. So Right. Yeah, I thought your answer was fine. All right. Good. Hopefully people are still listening So and, and we're not clicking. So. <laughs> That's always good. All right. So you're really down on the uh, anniversary episode idea? Because that way we don't even have to book a guest. It's just we ask the waitress, hey, your breakout pick for the uh, 2018 season. If we can get the waitress on, that'd be fine. I mean, she's probably okay. more interesting than us. But uh, no, I don't think we're going to go to a restaurant. And what restaurant are we going where the waitress is more interesting than us? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. All right. You go out more than I do. So This is true. But, off tonight? Going out tonight, I should say. No. Yeah, no, I'm coming off of an illness, as you know. So I, I think I'm going to settle down and, and take it easy. But anyway, uh, it's been 47 minutes. So we thank you for joining us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Continue to rate us uh, on iTunes. Be follow awesome. along. Yeah, um, we'll be back next week, which is closing in on one week left until spring ball. I mean, it's kind of a, a different, you know, you're, you're not quite previewing the game just yet. It, it's I think a little bit is too much made of it um, as that comes up on the 21st. But uh, we'll have a guest next week. So so you can look forward to that. We'll change it up a little bit and then close in on the end of spring ball. All right. Looking forward to it. We'll see you then. Let the